Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Doing live in-person events is off the table for a while, so in the meantime, here's our podcast series, The New Normal in California. During the shutdown, we'll be looking at ways our coronavirus-affected lives are changing over the short and long term, and talking with Californians who are making significant change in this new normal. If you like what you hear and want to help us keep producing more of these, consider making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. In this episode, we're taking a look at California's grocery stores, how they've handled becoming the public square that everyone is still allowed to go to, and all of the stressful issues that go along with it. From ensuring the health and safety of their frontline employees to making sure there's enough toilet paper on the shelves. And now, with more people using e-commerce to get their groceries delivered and cooking more meals at home than ever before, what's the new normal for grocery stores and how will people shop for their food? We're talking with Chelsea Miner, a top executive at Rayleigh's, the California grocery store chain headquartered in West Sacramento, about how grocery stores are handling the coronavirus and how the lessons they've learned today will shape the way we all get our groceries in the future. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode six of our podcast series, The New Normal in California. My name is Vanessa Richardson, and I am executive director of California Groundbreakers. Today, we're going to talk about grocery stores, which, according to an article I read in the Atlantic magazine, people view them as the public square, and probably more so today than ever. Throughout the pandemic, grocery stores have been, it seems like, the only place people have been allowed to go. And I personally have felt many times during the shutdown like it's the only place where I've gotten my social connection fixed. Grocery stores are also on the front lines of the pandemic. And a lot of the issues that we read about in the press often and have to deal with are typically dealt with by grocery stores first. Like, how do we ensure social distancing? How do we ensure worker safety? How do we sanitize? How do we make sure germs don't linger on surfaces or materials they, they cling to? Should masks be required or, or just recommended? It seems like grocery stores have had to deal with these questions and answer them first. Then there's the famous toilet paper shortage, the hand sanitizer shortage, the egg shortage, the apparently oncoming meat shortage. And there's also talk about rationing items, ramping up online shopping services, concerns about price gouging. Grocery store managers have to handle all those issues as well. So explaining how grocery stores are run, how they stock their shelves, what goes on behind the scenes in the warehouse and along the supply chain, and what the future of grocery stores and food shopping may look like in the new normal is something I thought is personally interesting. I I think everyone else does too these days more than they ever thought they would. So to explain all that, I invited our guest today, Chelsea Miner. She's the Corporate Director of Public Affairs for Rayleigh's, which is a family-owned grocery chain headquartered, I believe, in West Sacramento. Is that right, Chelsea? Yes. Right across the river from where we're talking, where, where I'm talking, and it operates stores in Northern California and Nevada. So thanks, Chelsea, for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. 
So my first question is, like I said, it seemed like the first place that got impacted by news of the pandemic and having to deal with the pandemic and, and shut down were grocery stores. I think many of us have seen the photos of wiped out shelves everywhere around the world. And I was wondering, for, from Rayleigh's point of view, when did, when did the company have an idea that things were going to change for its stores and grocery stores everywhere? Yeah, this definitely came, I think it surprised all of us. Uh, our first company crisis meeting, right? So the leaders of the organization that would come together and, and start to have these discussions was on February 27th, which in you know, hindsight, I think we were probably a little behind, but more than anything, it was just on sanitation. It was, as some of the cases were um, moving forward in, in other countries, we hadn't had a significant amount. There was some scares around the cruise ships and some discussions of those things, but it hadn't been as significant. But I would say to, to your question specifically of when did we know things were at a pivotal moment of a pivotal change, I think was on March 15th. And that was, you know, a few days after the um, shelter in place had begun, that we realized consumer behavior was changing dramatically. And that we weren't, to your point, as we kicked this off, that we weren't in the, in the same new norm. We began remote working from our corporate office and support center that following Monday. Um, and then everything I think started to be, as of right now, we continue to meet daily as a leadership and executive team uh, to continue to make changes to operations, to sales and you know supply issues, et cetera. So I'm wondering if you can give us a, a visual outlook or some kind of like, this is how, the supply chain works in terms of where the grocery store uh, is on that chain. So for example, uh, in my local store that I shop at, uh, Rayleigh's on Freeport, fresh produce seems to always be on the shelves, even from when you know people were starting to, to hoard. But it took a couple of weeks for cans of soup and beans to appear. And still, it seems like when I go in, you know, in the afternoon, the paper product section is still bare. I went in one morning on Saturday at 9am, and I scored a 12 roll of toilet paper. And I felt like, yes. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like people are like, why does it take um, so long for these products to show up if they if they ever do and why these products are still here and obviously it's a supply chain of logistics so mm -hmm. in terms of you know what a grocery store manager or Rayleigh's uh, corporate has to to address when it comes to supply chain you know can you tell us what what is it when products what products regularly come in what products do you need to wait on longer to stock and just like a uh, the dummies guide to the supply chain sure so you're right, there's a different process and procedure for, for every one of those entities. So you've got your produce, you have your, what we call center store, you have dairy, right? Eggs, milk, um, you've got your, you know, your items on cheese wise, and then you have your meat and seafood. And then of course, even our food service, right? That's more fresh, uh, ready to go. Um, our produce buyers actually buy every day. So because it's commodity based, and of course you're getting different varieties on a, you know, monthly basis based on what's in season, those folks make immediate modifications and changes based on demand. Uh, and that's in happening in real time uh, every, every day. 
the items that are in our center store, right, we were bringing on those items several months in advance before they actually hit the shelves. So if you think about a new variety of a protein bar or a cracker brand or something of that nature, there's a lot of pre-work that has to be done on the foresight of those things. And those are ordered more based on what we project demand to be, right? So we're giving our support suppliers that, you know, purchase order and, you know, allocating and, and making those variations as we go. And then our meat um, typically is based on allocation, again, on demand. And we set those thresholds with our meat, major meat providers. You know, there's about 10 or so. Um, and those, you know, kind of, again, fluctuate based on what we've seen in demand. Uh, but it also, we, we often tease that, you know, there's such volatility in the grocery market that some of those changes are based on the weather are based on holidays, are based on what teams are in the Super Bowl. All of those things vary as we think about supply chain. So then you add this COVID and our demand for every product across the entire store increased somewhere between you know, 50 to 200 to 300%. And that in part is because all of us are now you know, eating at home, we're cooking much more significantly and you don't have as many alternatives not to mention, you trust your grocery store, which we take very, very seriously. So part of it is us increasing our allotments and understanding what the demand is going to be to forecast, to know what customers want. But I think the other side is those that we just didn't anticipate and neither did the supply chain. So you brought up the paper products. Another one, you know, of course, is the canned goods. You know, that is on a very steady stream and they're in their normal forms of production. They didn't anticipate. So here we are asking them for more. They're trying to ramp up their, you know, uh, processing plants to, to meet that demand. And there's been a lag and you've seen that. What's interesting though and what's happening that I think is really fascinating is, let's talk about like just an example like pasta. You used to go down the pasta aisle and you would get angel hair, you could get fettuccine, you could get shells, you could get manicotti noodles, you could get any variety of different types of varieties of pasta. What we're now seeing is the pasta provider saying, we're going to stick with what we know, we're going to go forward and we're only going to make two to three varieties and we're going to whip them out a lot faster. Right? So now they've got an efficiency and so that's why you may see different products on the shelves we're also accepting different products that maybe we didn't before. So maybe you have a farmer who was contributing to a restaurant and now has a new, you know, an item that only went to restaurants and they said, hey, we've got nowhere to go. Can you sell this for us? And we are more than open to um, opening up that kind of economic opportunity for those farmers to sell their product. So when you, I guess in the old normal, when you did this planning in advance, how long in advance did you plan compared to now and maybe even going forward? Is it just basically like a day by day planning or, you know, quicker? What's the difference? Yeah, that's a great point. It really depends on the product. Um, but for the most part, especially those center store items, we were able to project by a, on a quarterly basis. Um, and you're right. We are, we're, as we often say, we're pinching our suppliers to um, give us more. And, you know, I'll be honest, while the customer I know has felt some of the pain, I do know that our suppliers are really working hard to make those adjustments. Again, getting creative, like the example I gave for pasta. So we're in now communications that are weekly. Uh, in fact, as you can imagine with the toilet paper conversation, you know, those we're getting updates daily in terms of what's going out from their facilities into our facilities and how many pallets we can expect and where they're being distributed to and so forth. 
Then there's, I guess, price gouging is something that at least appears on next door every so often. You know, why am I paying so much for eggs? And why is this costing so much? And who's who's to blame for this? So I'm wondering from a grocery store's point of view, are there, because of, you know, supply and demand, you can charge more or you need to charge more to cover costs or for suppliers who may be strapped or may see the opportunity to charge more, you know, those, those prices have to... Uh, go up somewhere and the consumer uh, covers the cost? Like, is, is price gouging a thing or some case of like prices have to uh, increase because of whatever changes on the supply chain? Yeah. Customers sh- should expect to see very standard normal prices as it relates to anything as we call in the center of the store. So those packaged goods and items. Where they will and should expect levels of fluctuation would be in those items that are commodities. So produce, dairy, and meat, and seafood, of course. Um, You know, this is normal in the sense of commodity pricing, right? But it is something we haven't experienced in terms of the fluctuations just based on the demand. Right. So you've got um, this perfect storm that you have individuals that are now buying more eggs so that you don't have to go to the store as often. Right. So maybe you're buying 24 eggs or 18 eggs where previously you were buying a 12 pack. Then the as things are um, aligned, you had Easter. Right. Where we know everyone is eating more eggs. And so to be able to ramp up that demand, uh, we ended up getting more, you know, a price increase on our end that yes, unfortunately is passed along to the consumer. And so we expect those fluctuations to continue. Uh, we've seen a little bit of the uptick in meat. Um, and that's why the message is so important as we talk about not um, over purchasing or hoarding because you're only straining the system that much more. And so that, therefore then that, that cost increase will continue as we start to demand more of our suppliers and they're feeling squeezed and it comes back to us through that kind of commodity pricing. Overall, we've seen produce, I think, remain relatively flat as it relates to retail. You know, that system clearly is is very strong and we've been very lucky in Sacramento, of course, as we often talk about farm to fork and our, and our access to, to fresh produce. Um, and that has remained strong through this whole process. So on that note of shortages, are there shortages coming down the supply chain pipeline that we should be prepared for? I think many of us have read in the in the headlines about the meatpacking plants being shut down. And so prepare yourself. There's going to be less meat and poultry on the shelves. My, my mom just told me she went to Costco and they're already putting limitations on, you know, how many, how many items of meat you can purchase. So uh, is that something that we should be prepared for? Are there other shortages that we should be prepared for? Well, we recognize that there's some national challenges as it relates to meat production. I think here in California, um, we are we feel very secure about the supply chain. And what we've seen through this crisis, of course, is that the local supply chain is less prone to disruption. And so when we're providing and getting those items from California through our local partnerships, uh, we are projecting to continue to see a steady supply of protein as it relates to beef and chicken. Uh, we do get our pork from out of state. But I think the most important message goes back to this, you know, customers leveling out their buying patterns and not being fearful that there won't be beef on the shelf in the coming weeks, because that does put a strain on the system. And I think that's why you're seeing some of the restrictions in some of the national retailers. 
you know, we remain committed to those allocations. Uh, we have a great partnership with Harris Beef and Central Valley uh, Meat Company out of the Central Valley and feel very strong about what we're going to um, get from them. One thing that we're asking customers and just to be prepared for is you may see different cuts of meat that you didn't see previously in the grocery store. And that's to your point around they can't process the meat fast enough right now to meet this demand. And if there's shortage of any workers, whether that be, you know, paid time leave of some sort um, or for, for specific illness, uh, they want to make sure that they're, they're moving them through. So where you might get a boneless item, you may now go to the store and there's only bone-in items. And so we're asking customers to be a little bit flexible, um, to be creative and, you know, open up their minds to maybe trying a, a meat product that they hadn't done previously. We are, though, sensitive and aware that we are coming right on barbecue season. And, uh, you know, this is an important time, especially as we think about the upcoming holidays ahead of us as we get into the end of May and early June. And so, again, thinking about buying what you need, not buying that you're fear-based, that in three weeks when you need it uh, for a particular event that you're not going to have it. And those things will help us continue to remain steady uh, as we try to work through some of those, uh, again, just traditional supply and demand issues. Yeah, so along the lines of uh, meatpacking plants and the cases of COVID-19 um, occurring in those, obviously there's a lot of concern about other frontline workers, primarily and particularly grocery workers. I think they're statistically at higher risk also of contracting uh, COVID-19. So I was wondering, you know, what the what the decision making uh, was for Rayleigh's, again, you know, back in late February, you start thinking about sanitizing, about addressing worker health and safety. And what are the measures you put in place since the shutdown to protect them? And I guess any interesting uh, discussions you had about what to put in place, what not to put in place. For example, I think a few grocery stores, again, that I read in the, the newspaper that were nameless, were like, should we have our and our employees wear masks, will that scare people? Mm -hmm. um, so I was just wondering, you know, what, what interesting things did you find interesting when you were thinking about uh, worker health and safety measures? This is, I think, one of the most important things um, as we think about the tireless effort that our team members have, have shown through this time. You know, you think about what it was like to go to the grocery store the first week of March and how crazy it was, how you waited in long lines and how, to your point, you know, we started by seeing um, shelves were not stocked and the frustration and the fear that people had and all those interactions that our team members went through. Um, and yet they continue to show up to work and serve in a time that most people are retreating, right, to their homes, to their safe place. Um, so this is, of course, um, top of mind, both in the past tense and in the current tense as we think about moving forward and, and what this virus looks like in the long term. Um, and we're preparing, right, for what that new normal is. But the thing about all of our kind of daily conversations as it relates to COVID was uh, there were days that we would talk about a new policy and we would say, okay, let's hold on, let's hold that thought for the next day. And the next day we would implement that policy. And for example, that would have been the shields, the plexiglass shields. We had kind of heard that that was an, a new um, opportunity and a chance to again, create space when space couldn't be created, right? So we'd learned that six foot distancing was appropriate, but you know, when you have fixtures that are you know, on the ground as a register, you can't move them. 
And it was literally the next day that we said, okay, let's deploy them. And I think it, I'm proud of our organization and our agility to be able to make those decisions and our team's ability to go find the right resources to secure them and, and implement them all in the name of safety. And so those types of things I think have made a really big difference so that we get to then say to our team members, we're doing all that we can to support you. Um, and that's been significant. So most importantly, and I think as other retailers think about opening, I think the most important thing is the access to equipment whether that be plexiglass, whether that be uh, masks for those that want them, whether that be for sanitation supplies uh, for both surfaces and your own you know, cleanliness and hygiene, whether that be soap or hand sanitizer, those things are invaluable in this time and that allows the team member to feel more secure and also take some of those matters into their own hands to feel safe. Uh, also the challenge was leave policies. We have now, I would say, six to 10 different new leave policies because, you know, these are all unique, very, very unique circumstances. So you have your individuals that are 65 and older. You have your individuals who can't come to work because they don't have daycare provided for their families um, or, or child care. You have those individuals that uh, were afflicted by COVID-19 and whether them directly or somebody in their family members. Uh, in the beginning, right, we had a lot of people who were quarantined because they had gone on a vacation. And so thinking through uh, and being able to support all of those different groups uh, and making sure that they know that um, they play a very important role in our organization and that we're here to support them, I think it has been really significant as it relates to our frontline workers. Yeah, that seems like that will be a new normal in terms of, uh, for lack of a better term, employee, employer, the, the employee employer contract, like, you know, how does the future of work going forward going to look like in terms of leave and pay and uh, uh, labor unions? I mean, all this just seems like, again, the, the grocery stores are where it's all starting to uh, come to, into play and other companies are going to have to uh, address that. Uh, if not now, definitely later. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of workers, again, grocery stores are one of the ones that are hiring these days and uh, hiring many. I was wondering, is Rayleigh's uh, hiring workers? And if so, what, what, do, who would, what do you need new workers for? Yeah, so we've hired from the beginning of COVID. So again, kind of call that late February. We've hired over 1,500 positions. I would say about 700 to 800 were specific for our e-commerce business. And I would call new roles that are unclear if they're going to be short-term or long-term. The other remaining few hundred were actually roles that, you know, maybe we weren't rushing on or there hadn't been enough candidates for that role. And now all of a sudden these things got, you know, um, fast-tracked because we really wanted to make sure that we had that service level within each of our individual stores. And the, the peak, of course, has been this, you know, flood of e-commerce. And I was sharing with somebody the other day, you know, we, we chat often about how do you get new users on e-commerce? And there's nothing like COVID-19 <laughs> to get people to try out uh, shopping online. And it, it's been very successful. Um, and the ability to ramp up and hire those 750 people was incredible. And part of that came from our partnerships, uh, of course, here in Sacramento, that was with some of our sports partners that we knew were laying off many of their hospitality workers. 
We've also partnered with some of the local hotels and restaurant groups, uh, knowing that those individuals were quickly out of a out of a job. And that they had a very similar mindset, right, from a service industry that could uh, play really well into the Rayleigh's organization. So we've been very grateful for them. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers podcast. We're working on more The New Normal in California podcasts literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, Consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of the homepage of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you know of a Californian doing some innovative thing during this pandemic time who should be talking with it about us on this podcast, email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us the info about who, where, and why so we can get in touch. We're always looking to get the word out about groundbreakers who people should know about and support. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. Do you think that e-commerce will be, is here to stay and, and as high as it is now, it will stay near or at those levels? I think we will probably see um, and maintained, I think, at least for the next several months, um, as we think about reopening retail and people's, um, you know, trust uh, in an entity to be a safe place. Um, I, I love how you started this off. We've been chatting about grocery in the old days being the third place and the hope that we could become that. And yet, you know, it's been very apparent through this process that, that we really are that third place in your life. Um, and very grateful to your point to connect with people in a time like this. Um, I think we're trying to think through the strategy to keep them, um, to keep them motivated through that process, to show them that there's a level of personalization, uh, that you don't have to come in to pick your uh, avocados, that you know you can have a conversation and a relationship with your grocery shopper that will do that work for you. Uh, and so I think there's a real opportunity for us to step up in terms of the way that we service our customers through online uh, to create that level of loyalty because it is clearly shown and proven itself uh, to be a very effective way for customers to get any good and service for that matter, not just grocery. Um, you know, you think now about as we reopen the economy, the first phase of this will include, um, you know, curbside pickup. And so how does that look at some of your, you know, non-grocery retail and, you know, people's familiarity and the way that they're getting comfortable? You know, we had a dedicated line just to help new users to walk them through the process to teach them how to use our e-commerce system. So uh, pretty incredible to think about that customer service piece that we've been able to accomplish. Uh, and again, how do we how do we keep them? How do we keep them comfortable with that space? So back in the store with people uh, shopping, you know, hands on in the store, I'm wondering what you and Rayleigh's are learning about human behavior and psychology uh, during this pandemic time. Because it seems like, you know, I have my personal stories about shopping in the, in the grocery store and, you know, uh, the emotional, it, it seems more emotional and sometimes a little stressful these days, you know, how, how, how close in contact, oh, that person's not going the, down the, the one-way aisle in the right direction, uh, that person's not wearing a mask, well, well, I can wear a mask, I don't have to wear a mask. So it does seem like, um, again, 
the, the change in terms of how people uh, are behaving dur during a pandemic and how they feel about still having the shutdown often uh, occurs in, when you're grocery shopping. So I guess I'm just wondering, you know, what is Rayleigh's learning about human behavior and psychology when you are telling grocery shoppers, well, now you need to start doing this, now you need to start doing that. Um, are they behaving? Uh, are they, uh, sometimes you see a little bit of friction and how do you handle all that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost is an appreciation for your grocery workers. And that has been pretty remarkable. The amount of cards and letters that we get here into the office um, or directly to stores, the amount of people who have donated food, whether that be a pizza or sandwiches from another shop uh, to pay it forward to their grocery workers has been pretty special. Uh, people have left signs out front of the store, you know, heroes work here. Uh, there's been a, a, a really beautiful thing to watch and to realize how essential food is. Now, on the flip side of that, uh, in terms of essential, you had a lot of fear. And I think that's been a role that we've been trying to navigate um, and and remind people that we will remain open, uh, that there will be enough food and to try to minimize fear and give some stability and hope through this message. And so we've done several different communication channels to try to do that and I, I think they're working, but, but you're right, especially in those early days, um, the fear had been happening. And I think the fear of not only the, the security of the food system, but then also the sphere of I'm exposing myself in this hotbed, right? That's these only places that people are going to and, and am I at risk? Um, and I think our sanitation measures and some of those safety protections that we've talked about already have been really instrumental in, in showing the community that um, you know, we're doing all that we can to keep them safe. I will say as it relates to protocols, uh, we've, we've come with the philosophy around we need to empower people to do what's right for them. And we follow that protocol very much as we relate to our health and wellness initiatives and encouraging people to eat healthier. And we've really translated that into this piece around, you know, you know what's right for you. And what we found is while some, you know, of course, masks are being encouraged by the CDC and others, there are some people that from their doctors are given notifications that they shouldn't wear a mask for a variety of reasons. And so the, we, as you can imagine, the interaction with somebody telling you to do so would actually kind of compromise and put you in a difficult position. So we're following our county ordinances and those vary, you know, based on um, any of the different entities and things that we've been talking about um, as it relates to masks specifically. We have not done one-way aisles. Our experience in chatting with some other retailers that actually makes it more cumbersome to shop and you're creating more bottlenecks because you're forcing people down certain ways and then they end up in the same area and you've got challenges around crowd control yeah. and the distancing. That's true. That, yeah, that's actually <laughs> for sure. For sure. And then um, we are. We're metering um, in some stores. We have some amazing technology that helps us understand those peaks. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, again, people have been very understanding and recognizing uh, their role in social distancing. I still think we're all learning. <laughs> you know, you kind of have a one-track mind. You want to go get the chicken and you don't realize that someone's around you. Um, and so we've even done uh, over... Uh, 
speakers, you know, the, a message over the loudspeaker to tell people, you know, as a friendly reminder, don't forget to social distance, um, queuing up lines in particular areas, trying to be as, to build infrastructure to support those things without being too pushy to the customer. So here's the crystal ball question for you. I mean, what is the future of grocery stores in the new normal, you know, this new, well, the third place, public square, what it will look like? How will, how will stores like Rayleigh's do things differently? I mean, obviously, this is a great uh, test, uh, pilot, uh, trial run program to see, you know, should we stick with these things going forward? Um, so that's part one of the question, you know, what does the grocery store look like? And then part two is, how do you think this the pandemic and the shutdown is changing, if it will, change the way that people approach food shopping in general? Great questions. You know, the new normal, I think, is to be determined, but we're having significant conversations, to your point, around what stays. And what I can tell you right now is, of course, those increased sanitation standards will stay and remain. We actually implemented cleaning marshals at every one of our stores. And so, as you can imagine, it's usually two different people depending on the shifts. And those individuals are making sure that all of these new protocols are being followed, right? So cart cleaning, surface cleaning, uh, making sure that, you know, the hand sanitizer is full, uh, those types of things. Um, even, you know, now the is signage correct and accurate and appropriately placed and those types of things. So I think you'll continue to see that. I think you will continue to see the community, um, you know, respond favorably as it relates to face coverings and masks. I think we'll continue to have a, a great dialogue around uh, plastic bags versus, you know, versus reusable bags. I know that was a very difficult thing. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because that's a concern for me whenever I go into the store, I just feel like I can't take my own bag, but I don't want to take another plastic bag because it has been such a point of discussion. So I don't mean to interrupt there, but yeah, how do, how do you address that? I mean, when you're like, well, we, we have to do it. Yeah, so much of it came from team member safety, right? So for a little while in time, we had said you could bring in your reusable bags, but you would bag your own groceries, so that your hands were touching your physical space because you know we don't at that point we didn't know how long the virus lived on a hard surface of like a plastic bag or you know a reusable bag right and so that was the biggest fear is the team members were feeling very uncomfortable about essentially sharing you know your germs because it came from your your physical space and so then that becomes kind of a difficult customer service experience because that's what we still pride ourselves in doing is bagging your groceries and helping you out to the car. Uh, so we had made that, that decision, but we're with you, right? Of how do we turn this back? How do we re-encourage people to bring back in their, in their, their reusable bags? How do we, uh, you know, encourage people to not take 10 bags? <laughs> So as of right now, we're saying if you do not want a bag, of course, let's just put it back in your cart and then you can bag up your groceries and your reusable bags in your trunk. I think that is your best option as of right now. Um, teaching people how to clean their reusable bags, I think, is a great, you know, kind of public service announcement as we think through this in the near future and what are those right tactics and how do we, how do, we do that? Because I think there's just a lot of concern around that. Again, you're bringing things in my space and while we're six foot distancing, I'm still touching something that was of yours. All right, last question. As always, uh, 
getting some good advice from someone about now that we're talking about grocery stores and food and cooking a recipe i feel like chelsea you probably have a, a little more time now as we all do to be at home and get into the kitchen so what have what recipe have you either been experimenting with or uh just pulled out because it's a really good one that you want to share with the rest of us Oh, I love this. Well, a, a plug for Rayleigh's is we do have an inspiration page on our website. And so that's got some great, um, great recipes. I know a lot of people are baking. I'm not a huge baker myself, but um, I have pulled out my grandmother's banana bread, which of course you never want to, you know, toy with your grandmother's recipe and mess it no. up. But that's gone very well. And the other thing I did most recently is uh, bought a Dutch oven which I had not had and have been doing a bunch of Dutch oven recipes. So we did lamb shanks uh, a few weeks ago and they were superior. So now it's what's all the things you can do in the Dutch oven. So that's been a lot of fun. So that's an essential cooking tool now for the new normal is the Dutch oven. Well, and we have all the time, right? Dutch ovens, you know, a lot of your, my resistance previously was the recipes take so long and now uh, you got all the time in the world. So you might as well turn that thing on for a few hours and do a puzzle. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, we are we are doing this on a Friday. So I think a lamb shanks, banana bread, that sounds like a great meal for, for May. Chelsea, thank you so much for taking the time to, to explain grocery stores and all the behind the scenes work. And uh, stay healthy, stay safe, stay sane. And thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me and helping get the word out. I'm grateful for your guys' leadership in this. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. This episode of The New Normal in California with Chelsea Miner of Rayleigh's Stores was recorded on May 8th, 2020. Thanks to Chelsea for taking the time to talk with us. Also, thanks to Caleb Clark at Kickstart Audio for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, consider making a donation and supporting our efforts to produce more informative, inspiring conversations about how Californians are coping with the new normal. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on our upcoming podcast episodes, our live events, whenever it's safe to do them again, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.